0: Well, it's never early enough for a good riddle, so I want to start with a riddle. This is not one of my own riddles, uh, but this is a riddle that comes from the, Gollum, or the character of Gollum in The Hobbits. And so, if you know The Hobbits, you may know this riddle. This thing, all things devours, birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel grinds hard stones to meal, slays kings, ruins town, and beats mountain down. What is this thing? Anyone? Time. Wonderful. Yes. It's time. Time is this thing that devours, that gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stone to meal, slays kings, ruin town, and beats mountain down. Gollum's riddle perceives time as the great dissolver of life. Time left to itself devours all things, which is a sobering reality. It's a very sobering reality. And this may not seem like a fitting riddle to start the Christmas season, but for Advent, very much so. It's a fitting riddle. Gollum's riddle expresses time not in a state of neutrality, but headed in a specific direction, a specific direction that shapes us. And all societies know this, right? We experience this because as all societies make an effort to structure time, to give meaning to it, to give it uh, rhythms in which it's going in certain directions, think of the movement of the academic calendar, which many of us have been in or currently in right? We get put into a semester in which all of it is driving towards a particular end. And we kind of suffer under that movement of time until that ends. Or you can think of the fiscal year and all of its demands that companies and organizations have to um, abide with. Think of seasons that we mark time with. There's the less popular tax season. There's the more popular season of sports like baseball or cricket depending on which (laughs) continent you originate from. And then there's also the great seasons of competition too. Do you know of the competition in Gloucester, Massachusetts, of the greasy pole? Every summer, every summer, there's this pole that extends over the ocean in which competitors prepare to try to race across this pole that's been all greased up to grab a flag. It's a wonderful competition. And it's a wonderful movement uh, and anticipation of that competition. Think of the many different cultural hours and days we have, like happy hour, unless your state is oddly still affected by the far-reaching hand of the Puritans, like our own. We have news hour, tea time, or when I was in college, we had Twinkie time, which was at 11.11 a.m. or 11.11 p.m., whichever one you were more free for, you would grab a friend and share Some Twinkies together. Something to look forward to, to structure and move your time. We just went through Black Friday and Cyber Monday. In our households, we hardly get to Wednesday without going through Taco Tuesday. These are movements of time that give meaning and purpose to it. But at its worst, our ways of structuring time can cause us to think that we possess it. In other words, we perceive time as something we possess rather than it possessing us. We're doing something to it, rather than it doing something to us. And this perception of time can get enfolded into our perception of God and the world around us. We can say things which are not completely false, but we tend to, as Christians, say things like, we invite God into our life. We schedule him into our day. Time is ours to consume. How we understand time shapes us and pulls us in specific directions. If we merely consume time, then it will consume us, as Gollum's riddle testifies to, all things it devours. However, if we allow God to interrupt this slow march of time by his work within time, then we enter his power to redeem time to remake it into a life-giving force. We enter a realm of time, or a kingdom, that is not dissolved by time, but has no end. Advent is a season that interrupts this slow march of time that ends with destruction, as Gollum's riddle testifies to. It interrupts our own perception that we possess time, rightly judging us, And the world around us in order to awake us and sanctify us to a new time the season of advent is here to change us we are people to be called to live in between the advents on the one hand the first advent the arrival of jesus in the manger and the second advent the arrival of jesus as the rightful king to judge and rule over the world we are called to live in between these two Advent's and to be a people who live in between these two Advent's, shaping the direction that we are to go with our lives. With the first Advent, we inherit a past, a past that is marked by the incarnation, a past that says God is faithful to his promises to rescue his people and dwell with them. With the second Advent, we see our end, our fulfillment by the return of Jesus Christ, a future hope that says Jesus is victorious over all sin and death and will remake all things. We live in between these two advents, and these two advents shape who we are and the direction we go. They shape our lives of a way of life, a direction of love, of hope, of joy, and peace. Without these two advents, a past story of God's faithfulness with us, and a future hope of his faithfulness, then there's really not much cause for a life of love, joy, and peace. We're left with cheap imitations that ultimately time devours. And for us, in our culture, in our society, the consumeristic culture that we live in, we need that reminder that there is not enough items and materials in this life that we can consume that outlasts time. Advent deepens our love, our joy, our peace, and our hope as it positions us in between these two Advents. So in what ways should Advent change us? I would put forward two primary ways related to each Advent. First, the season of Advent calls us to immerse ourselves in the story of the Incarnation the first advent, the beginning of God's new creation work, the aim being to rekindle our imaginations. As we jump into this story yet again, if you've grown up as a Christian, you've heard this story over and over, but we are, called, are we're calling ourselves to immerse ourselves in this story again, to rekindle our imaginations by remembering and making present the wonder and beauty of God's presence with us through the the manger, Like a full immersion language class. Have you ever taken one of these? Where the teacher speaks nothing but that language, and the whole class is all about immersing yourself in that language and in that culture, so that it seeps into your bones and gets into your dreams, even. I had a language professor once say, you don't truly know a language until you dream in it. Until it's the language that you dream in. Likewise, we immerse ourselves in the reality of the birth of Jesus, God breaking into the darkness. We bask in the wonder of this mysterious moment that is God in the manger, the rightful king entering the world through a humble manger. The more our imaginations are rekindled, the more we discover the beauty of this moment, the more we are open To the glory of God, the divine work of God in us and through us and all around us. Second, the season of Advent calls us to reorient ourselves in the reality of the return of Jesus, the second Advent, the fulfillment of new creation. The aim being to raise our anticipations. We raise our anticipation by remembering the wonder of God's power to set all things right. Like the moment when you get good news from a friend that this out of town friend is coming to visit you, right? It it brings a new vitality to your life, to your heart. You long to see this friend, to be welcomed, to welcome them, and to orient your schedule and your time and even your place around their arrival. We bask in the wonder Of this moment that is jesus's return to reign over all and the more we anticipate the return of christ the more we discover the beauty of it the more we are open to the glory of the divine work of god renewing us and renewing the world all around gk chesterton said this the world will never starve for want of wonders but only for want of wonder Advent, in other words, you could say that the world is always full of wonderful things. This is God's creation that he is reclaiming and restoring. And yet, will we spend the time, will we wait, will we gaze, will we anticipate this work of renewal enough to be those who wonder at this work of God? Advent restores our wonder, for Advent is restoring the wonder of the world. We are called to be a people who live in between the Advents. But are we doing this? Or are we filled with too many serious thoughts or overly occupied with frantic pace of life? Do we truly wait and take the time to marvel at the knowledge and mystery of these Advents? Has it seeped into us to such a degree that we daydream about this moment. It captures our imagination and our dreams and our orientation to life. Do we set our ultimate life gaze upon this moment? This is Jesus's exact command to us in the gospel of Luke chapter 21 that you heard read earlier. I'm going to read a portion of it again and we're going to sit in this text for a little while. Luke chapter 21 verses 25 through 28 says this, And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. In this text, Jesus is using the apocalyptic tradition found throughout the Old Testament and especially in the book of Revelation. This literary style uses heightened images and metaphors to convey a reality that is not easily seen with our own eyes. In a way, it's pulling back the curtain of reality to reveal what's actually happening before us. Maybe you could say it's like a good reality TV show that is trying to peel back the curtain of reality so that we might actually see what happens in celebrities' lives or people's lives before us. Pulling back the curtain so that we might see what actually is happening. And in this account that Jesus gives us, In Luke chapter 21, the way Jesus is pulling this back, the creational elements that are mentioned in this text are signs that things are not right in the cosmic order. The very fabric of creation is unraveling. The nations are in a state of distress, perplexity, anxiety, which turns into fear and literally the language is losing of one's breath. Fainting unto death. The fabric of humanity is unraveling in this depiction that Jesus is giving. The world is dissolving and humanity is living in uncertainty and fear. Now, even though Jesus' account is apocalyptic, this doesn't take much for it to sound too far off from our current situation in the world whether from the fires of California to the earthquake and tsunami of Indonesia, and from the mass shootings of the Pittsburgh synagogue to the shooting in LA recently, to the migrant crisis due to the upheaval of people from their lands looking for safety, and the fear that results from that. Our world is in a considerable amount of distress, anxiety, and fear. The fabric of humanity is unraveling, which is the context that Jesus' promise to return is given. Jesus says the Son of Man will come in a cloud with power and great glory. This is a clear echo from Daniel chapter 7, and it's, it's such a wonderful passage and a clear echo that Jesus is giving that I want to read it. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel is given this vision, and he's reporting on that vision here. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is saying that this son of man represents in Daniel, or I'm sorry, Daniel is saying this son of man represents humanity. He is a son of man. Representing humanity, that humanity has forfeited and lost this reigning ability to exercise dominion over creation and steward it unto life. This Son of Man is coming to return that dominion and to steward and to reign over all creation, to restore the glory through his dominion. And his kingdom will interrupt the present movement of time and create a new time, a new reign, a new kingdom. And Jesus is saying, this is my purpose. I'm going to return to judge rightly the world, and reorder the world under my rule that has no end, and with it no uncertainty, no anxiety, no distress, or death. The Son of Man, which is actually Jesus' most used title for himself in the Gospel of Luke, the Son of Man is coming with a cloud, this text says, and this is also another clear echoing from the old testament we've seen a cloud descend upon mount sinai where moses was when given the law by god himself we see a cloud leading israel through the wilderness to enter the promised land and even in Jesus' own ministry the continuity is there when jesus in i think it's luke chapter nine jesus takes peter james and john up a mountain to pray And up on this mountain, he is transfigured. His glory is revealed to these three disciples. And a cloud descends upon them. And out of the cloud, the disciples hear the father's voice saying, This is my son. Listen to him. And later on in Acts chapter one, after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, his appearance among many, including the disciples, he stands before them in Acts chapter one and says, you now are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then Luke's account says that he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And I know for us, this is a very odd and mysterious thing, but it's clearly consistent with the way God's powerful presence has shown up. And thus, for those following Jesus, this is of a great encouragement that the Son of Man is going to come in a cloud. The same Jesus they saw in glory with them in the flesh, the same Jesus they saw resurrected and ascend into glory, will return in a cloud with great power and great glory to restore all things and to complete our redemption. And Jesus says, look up, raise your heads, for your redemption is drawing near. The nations and world around you may be living in uncertainty, distress, and crippling fear, but you, faced with the same circumstances of this world, are called to have confidence, standing with raised heads, assured of the coming of the glory of Christ. Back in the book of Revelation, at the very end of the the biblical account, we get this quick depiction from chapters 5 to to chapter 7. In chapter 5, we're given an image of this scroll with seals, uh, symbolically representing God's redemption. And it has these seven seals. And, And those witnessing this are crying out, who can open up these seals? We can't. Who can? And then the lamb who looked like it had been slain appears. To open up the seals. And in chapter 6, you have the world. In language similar to Jesus' apocalyptic vision here, you have, in chapter 6, the nations responding to these seals opening up. And the Lamb who is slain returning. And the nations, it says, the kings and the ones with power are trembling with fear. And they say, who can stand Who can stand before the Lamb who was slain? And then in chapter 7, you have another depiction. And John says in chapter 7 that there's this great gathering of people from all nations, all tribes, all languages, gathering around, and they are standing before the Lamb who was slain. And what are they doing? They're praising God, saying, You and you alone belong salvation. They're honoring the lamb who was slain. And then later it says, they are the ones that have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. Through the advent of Jesus, we are drawn near to God for forgiveness, for a cleansing, for sanctification. And through that, we can await his return with great confidence. And hope and certainty. For it's his name, the lamb that was slain, the crucified and resurrected one, who alone conquers evil, captures it, leads it away, nailing it to the cross. He alone can break the bars of iron and liberate the oppressed, for he alone is Lord over all. Therefore, look to him. Behold him. Call upon him. The fear from the world around us will yield and fade. The hopelessness that can grasp us will yield and fade. The apathy that can creep into us will yield and fade. The restlessness that we can be trapped in will yield and fade. Advent is here to change us, to prepare us, to face the uncertainties of this world with confidence in God's final act of redemption. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian and pastor who lived through the midst of horrific political turmoil, which led to the complete upheaval of his own life and that of his family during Nazi Germany, said this in an Advent sermon. And keep in mind his life of living through the political turmoil And the uncertainty of his own life. And that of his his family. Said this. Look up. You whose gaze is fixed. Upon this earth. Who are spellbound. By the little events. And changes. On the face of the earth. Look up. To these words. Your redemption is drawing near. You who have turned away. From heaven disappointed. Look up you whose eyes are heavy with tears and who are heavy and crying over the fact that the earth has gracelessly torn us away. Look up, you who burdens with guilt cannot lift your eyes. Look up, your redemption is drawing near. Be aware, be watchful, wait just another short moment. Wait and something quite new will break over you. God will come.